Hi, and welcome to the Faith of Our Fathers. I'm Jonathan Brack. I'm Charles Williams. Hey, Charles, it's been a while. It has been a while. <laughs> Where have you been? I had the killer death flu for like a month. Yeah. Where I, have you been? I've been traveling and trying to write papers, and um, I remember that flu, you had a Darth Vader voice. I did. I did. We should have done an episode with the Vader voice. I Well, I have the suit for it. <laughs> it's it, awkward. It could have been a video instead of just. Uh, it could have been audio. So like Star Wars kid for the YouTube thing. It's just Darth Vader, <laughs> creepy guy at Westminster, quoting things. Yeah, well, that you you take that up that that title. Well, anyways, yeah. here at Westminster, Westminster creepy guy, guy at Westminster, oh, creepy guy at Westminster. Yes, yes so that's why fine. you wear that cape to Doctor of Man. Yeah, well, that's that's not why, but <laughs> it is what it is. Okay, so last time we were talking, um, we were discussing um, just a, an overview, a broad uh, general view of what's going on in the church, and then we ended with an episode on the external threats. Um, before we get into our episode today, tell us where we're at in Faith of Our Fathers and and, w- and where we're headed. Yeah, uh, like you said, for the past few uh, episodes, we've been looking at the external threats facing the uh, early church, that of persecution. An episode we spent on uh, the threats faced from Judaism as Christianity kind of emerged from that, and then of course uh, the threats that you know came from the Roman Empire and society a- as a whole um, once that started to take place. We're going to look now for the next several weeks and uh, off and on for the rest of our time looking at the ancient church. I think we have about twelve episodes dedicated to this, looking at internal threats facing okay uh, the church, namely the uh, the problem of heresy. Hmm. Now, so. Uh is it anachronistic or is it proper historically to talk about heresies of the early church? Because you're, you're, you know, some might say that you're probably presuming that there's a set uh, Christianity or set line of doctrine. Um, and, and some might say that that's anachronistic. It's improper to talk about heresies. Right. Um, yeah. Walter Bauer, I think Bart Ehrman, Elaine Pagels are uh, kind of, follow that trend in early New, New Testament and early Christian studies, uh, saying that it's only proper to speak of early Christianities rather than early Christianity. Hmm. Long story short, it's not anachronistic. You can read Michael Kruger's book on the canon on this. Okay. Boss, uh, a couple other guys you go to um, for that. Uh, you know, The thrust of this is just dealing with early church stuff. Um, Okay, uh, and, and so I, I just really think you know I, I don't think we can devote a whole episode to kind of defending that position so much as we can simply say that it's not anachronistic because the New Testament data we have simply speaks of heresies and uses the term. Mm. Um, so I think that itself is evidence enough. So the um, New Testament uses the term heresies. Yeah, it's itself. in Second Peter. Um, okay, the, the term itself is there, and the concept is all throughout the New Testament. Right. Uh, in whether you look at the writings of John, whether or not you look at the writings of Paul, or the writings of Peter. Where some people want to pit, you know, these different strands of Christianity against one another. I don't think that's legitimate either. Which way, all three of them speak of a true and a false way of talking about Christ. Okay. Um, for example, uh, I mean, the the reason John writes his first epistle hmm. is against this uh, an early heretical sect that's probably an early form of what we call Docetism. Okay. Which we'll talk about in a few weeks. Um, that that broke away from the church. They denied the fact that uh, the fact of the incarnation, hmm. um, uh, along with other things. And uh, John's response to them is uh, a defense of the apostolic testimony um, and apostolic commission, 
mm. uh, of the authority of their testimony over and against those who try to root their own authority in mystical experience. Okay. Um, which the, the bulk of these various strands of Christianity that if you study early Christian thought um, in the first two or three centuries, the, the, the real rival to Christianity are these people who try to root authority in their own mystical experience. Mm. And the New Testament itself rejects that. First um, Corinthians 15, uh, Paul uh, you know, says, I have only handed down to you that which I also have received. Mm. Um, and so there is a clear proper teaching that distinguishes a uh, true doctrine of Christ from a false doctrine. I mean, even in Second uh, Corinthians 11, um, Paul says this. He goes, I, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. You know, do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Uh, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, uh, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere devotion to Christ. Hmm. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus uh, than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You know, hmm. um, when he writes to the church at Galatia and, and uh Chapter 1, he says something very similar. He says, I'm astonished that you have so quickly deserted him who has called you and the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He goes mm. on to say that there, it's not that there is another gospel. Rather, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the true gospel of Christ. Mm. And he says, so even if we are an angel from heaven preaches uh, to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. Let him and die and go to hell. Yeah, you know, and so even Paul puts himself under that standard. And it's clear from those texts that it's not just uh, simply an external threat, but it's also it's an internal subversive, a different gospel. Right, right. And so yeah, I mean, just thinking the early church is facing this twofold front. Not only are they getting persecuted physically from outside the church, but there are people within the church that are beginning to make false claims. Uh, wanting to root authority in something other than the apostolic testimony and, you know, with that in mind, the scripture itself as it comes to be written down. Um, There's also that Acts 20 passage with Paul uh, to the Ephesian elders, right, where he basically says, uh, wolves will rise up from among you. Yeah. Uh, speaking to the uh, Ephesian elders. So right. It's almost like internal threat will happen. Right. First John, they went out from us to show that they are not of us. Yeah. You know, the fact that people are deserting um, the, the, the faith. And, you know, some people want to pa- accuse Paul of being a jerk, just saying you're, you're more concerned with doctrine as if it's something that could be divorced from practical life and experience. And mm-hmm. I think if you read any Pauline letter, any Johannine epistle, you'll just see that that's just not the case, that Orthodoxy and orthopraxy, uh, uh, faith and practice can't be divorced from one another. I mean, that's mm. the basic content of James right there as well. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, even in, again, later on in Galatians, uh, was it Galatians 4? You know, uh, Paul says, like, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Mm. You know, they make much of you for no, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may, may that you may make much of them. It's kind of interesting to see kind of in these History Channel documentaries and all these, you know, this recent interest in early Christianities, you know, mm-hmm. all these various forms or heretical movements that arise. Um, kind of the tenor of academia right now is that orthodoxy is very narrow-minded because it's refusing to accept these other various strands of Christianity, and therefore mm-hmm. it's heresy that's open, you know, open-minded and orthodoxy that's narrow-minded. I, I, I think the opposite is the case. You know, the reason Paul... 
excuse me, is writing uh, uh, to the Church of Galatia says, look, this is what they're trying to do to you. They're trying to shut you out and exploit you. Mm. You know, they're wanting you to listen to them, but they don't even care what you think. Uh, Peter says the the same thing. Um, the bulk of Second Peter uh, chapter two. Mm. Um, listen to this. I mean, this is fairly lengthy. It's, it's not the entire chapter, but uh, chap here, ch- just chunks of chapter two from Second Peter. He writes, but false prophets also arose among the people. He's talking about in ancient Israel. Uh, Mm. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. There's there's the word right there. Mm. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon them swift destruction. Many will follow their own sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Mm. So there, he's already saying is that the reason that these false teachings are being done as for profit or for gain, allowing people to follow after their own lusts. So uh, Peter's accusing heretics of permitting Christians to indulge in lustful passions and and despise authority. You know, he Mm -hmm. continues saying that they they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Uh, They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Um, They're accursed children forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. Um, Going down a little bit more, he goes, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error, they, these heretics, promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So this notion of heresy is not anachronistic if we follow the apostolic tradition, because they make a clear distinction between that teaching which they have received and are handing down and these other things, uh, uh, other false teachings that are arising, um, being rooted in one's own experience or the lust of one's own heart, you know. Um, mm. And, it, you know, the heresies that, that Peter's con- confronting are these ones that want to give in to sensuality. Paul, uh, in, ri- in writing to the Galatians and even to First Timothy, deals with a different type of heresy, that one that wants to place an overabundance of regulations and restrictions upon you. So heresy mm. ends up taking on multiple forms, even in the New Testament, that or having to be combated in different ways. Um, listen to what, um, when Paul writes to, to Timothy, this is First Timothy 4, um, Paul says, Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. He goes on a little bit. Therefore, be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being what? This is being trained in the words of faith mm. and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. Mm. What's interesting about that is that that language uh, to abstain is also, you can see that taken at the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. And it's also the very thing that, uh, Jesus Christ warns when he has a word against, um, the churches in revelation too. Mm-hmm. And so they have, m- you know, misused and abused this, uh, thing that, you know, this revelation, given to Peter and basically agreed upon in a council, Acts 15. So it's interesting that that pattern is not just tied up to some sort of superstition, you know, just listen, listen in your heart for the pattern of sound words or, or to faithful teaching. It's, 
it's actually uh, tied to something a little bit more historical, something real. Right. And so, right. You know, Paul explicitly tells them to be trained in words of faith and in good doctrine so that they can train yourselves for godliness. So there, even in the New Testament, there is a pretext for having catechetical training of children and members of the congregation for the purpose of rejecting heresy and in devoting themselves to godliness. Mm. So we see there a, a twofold use for the use of catechesis yeah. and early creeds. And we see early creeds, uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, uh, Philippians 2, five through 11 early basic creedal forms, formulas that basically say that Jesus is Lord. Um, mm. And um, what does that mean? What are the implications? And, of course, the church picks up on this and defending itself from these various heretical movements that will emerge in the first five or six centuries will develop and expand creeds based off the apostolic content mm. uh, using uh, certain patterns, mm. uh, patterns of sound words, to reject false views of Christ that undermine the nature of our salvation. Mm. And also, as we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about later, that each particular heresy will lead to some sort of abuse of the, the Christian It'll, right. It'll lead to some sort of cruelty. Right, yeah. Yeah. Heresies, I think, are are cruel on two fronts. One, um, they pervert the worship of God. Yes. Because they fail to, to render God the worship that's due him for the salvation that he's rendered for us um, on our behalf. Um, and two, like you said, there's a pastoral element there that they end up making a shipwreck of, per, of, of a person's faith. I mean, just as one example, in Second Peter, when Peter's saying that these people are allowing you to give yourselves over to lustful passions. He calls mm-hmm. that a heresy. Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 says to flee sexual immorality because uh, when you commit sexual immorality, it's a sin against your own body. It's a self-destructive sin. Mm. So heresies are going to have a self-destructive tendency in one way, shape, or form, yeah. whether it means by licentiousness, allowing you to do whatever you want, or it means by you trying to earn your salvation through some means other than what Christ has already accomplished for us because mm. we can't you know, earn salvation on, on our own. Yeah, very good. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, the antidote to heresy. All right. Yeah, um, like I said, I think the antidote to heresy is catechism. Okay. You know, I, honestly, I, I, you know, this, I'm sure this sounds just like what Carl Truman wrote, wrote, wrote in his book on, on the creedal imperative that just came out a few months ago. Um, but I think it's right because it's what the Bible says. I, I think our first episode, we referenced Psalm 78, mm. where uh, Israel's chided for not um, training um, their children the way they should go. I mean, even Judges, I think it's Judges 2, uh, verse 10, this is right after the death of Joshua, it goes, in all of that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Mm. The idea that the, the generation dies, that the new generation that comes up after Joshua's generation um, doesn't know how they had been delivered from Egypt because why? I mean, the implication is that the parents had failed to do their job. They had failed mm. to train their children in the ways of the Lord and mm. the ways which he's commanded um, by mm. giving specific patterns, you know, these are things mm. you're supposed to, you know, bind around your wrist, you know, as you walk and talk with your children, when you go fishing, you know, when you rise, when you go to sleep, whatever. Yeah. Um, these are things that we're supposed to be doing. And there's a biblical precedent for this. Yes. And you see the, I mean, this is at the beginning of judges and you see, um, the giant mess that happens as a result 
yeah the failure to do this and where it leads is just total wickedness and right and yeah right and where uh, sin. yeah i i think you know every generation has to face uh, uh that particular problem what are we going to do to train the next generation to know who god is mm, you know okay. it's not just about having you know that sunday school is not just a class about civic virtue mm. or how to be a good citizen um you know, you, you can leave that to your, your public school classes to do that. Mm. Um, th- what we're doing is something much more important is of an eternal significance. Who is God? Mm. What he has accomplished for man? And what are the duties that God requires of man? Mm. Right? These, these are the big questions that we have to think about. And these, this is what the New Testament and the Old Testament is devoted to. Yes. You know, this one way of salvation and uh, what does it mean to worship a God who has saved us? So I, I would say the antidote to heresy is reading your Bible and, and learning catechism, mm. learning basic creeds. I mean, you might not be able to know the ins and outs of you know heresies of Arianism, Apollinarianism, things like that, but you can know that from you know basic catechetical questions that we have, we worship one God, mm. three persons. Yes. That these basic patterns of sound words deflect some of the earliest heresies that we're going to talk about mm. uh, in the coming weeks. Um, if you know that the pattern of the Old Testament that points to Christ, you know, is this pattern of suffering and glory, you know, of mm-hmm. humiliation, exaltation, that Christians follow suit, you've got to take up your cross, then you're going to have to reject this prosperity notion that suffering isn't for the Christian life. Right. You know, the fact is, Paul says in First Timothy, or it might be Second Timothy, that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Mm. Um, and so uh, people who want to say that suffering isn't part and parcel of the Christian life, that is a heresy. It denies the basic tenet, one of the basic tenets of, of the Christian faith and what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Mm, very good. So it's not just to deflect heresies, but it's also to train right. in godliness. Right, yeah. We're not, we're not just you know walking in reaction to false teachings with our nose stuck up in the air as if this mm. is dry academia saying, oh, you believe something different. I mean, this is going to have practical ramifications. What you believe about God determines how you treat one another. Mm. I mean, that's the basic gist of 1 John 1, 5. We, you know, God is light in him and there is no darkness at all. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, John, in 1 John 1, starts going through, begins with a basic doctrine of God, and then starts spelling out the implications on what it means to live out the Christian life. Mm. You know, where it says the, you know, the basic mark of the Christian life is not you know, instantaneous perfectionism, as some of yeah. these other heretics are saying. Rather, it's a life marked by repentance, ongoing mm. repentance. Yeah. There's a big difference between what that looks like on the ground between those two, that of perfectionism, uh, which you see in kind of your holiness movements, um, and then yeah. you know the normal Christian life as you see demonstrated in let's say Romans seven. Yeah, it's usually taken as something you know the the repent moment is so you know punctiliar. It's just a moment as opposed to what you've you know said in John, which is it's a life. You know, yeah. your entire life is a turning from two things. Yeah, uh, Doctor Pallison talks about that. If if that is not something basically understood for for your own life and, and godliness before your creator, there's no uh, real way that you can begin to get on the ground to do basics in counseling and yeah. just walking people through uh, you know, sin and suffering because everybody's looking for some mountaintop punctiliar moment of repentance and then you never see the sin right. again, as opposed to the battle is wider and deeper and it's a life of repentance and catechesis is helpful 
And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not just you memorize a catechism and then you're holy, but yeah. it's you memorize the words and the words can fit. Yeah. It's training uh, you to mortify the flesh. And, yes. You know, you know I was, I've hidden my word in your heart that I might not sin against you. So, mm. you know, the application of God's word in, in the daily struggle against sin and unbelief. Mm. Now, uh, why bother with talking about heresies and in our, uh, in our program here? Uh, well, like I say, um, if heresies are destructive to the Christian faith, then I think it'll be useful to look at roughly a dozen or so basic heresies that crop up because we're going to see the fact that they end up popping up time and time again, not just in the Middle Ages, not just in the Reformation, but as we talk about certain heresies, you might listen and go, that hits a little close to home. Um, particularly, you know, the heresies of docetism, mm-hmm. modalism, I-, I would say uh, Western evangelicalism, broadly speaking, uh, can fall prone to one of those two, mm. if not both. And um, so it can help give us clearer thought about who God is, and also we could see um, where we might ourselves have accidentally, just through maybe laziness, through just not paying careful attention to the text, um, we can sharpen our minds to godliness and pursue, uh, help us pursue uh, a godly lifestyle and worship God more, more clearly and know and, and be more appreciative of the nature of our salvation. Yeah. And understanding these heresies well can uh, paint the context of history so yeah. much better. As you already said, you know, the landmarks of all the different uh, councils and statements that have come out of these, these councils. It's, right. If we know what the internal and the external struggle are well, then, uh, they don't seem so distant. Right. They seem uh, a lot more practical, a lot more at home. Yeah, and especially as um, w- once the uh, uh, Christianity becomes legalized in the Roman Empire in 312, the major struggle is not going to be the external threat of persecution. I mean, when, right. when, you're, when you've got the state backing you up, the big threat's going to be that of the internal struggle, and that's going to be the bulk of what we'll look at as a result. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, we're going to do... Uh, Twelve episodes hidden mm-hmm. on some. Uh, name some of the heresies so we can get excited. Not about heresy, but excited <laughs> about the the episodes. Right, right, right. Um, well, what we're going to do is we're going to tackle each of about twelve heresies. I think over the course of eleven episodes, we're going to combine two. I believe. Um, but we'll do a couple things. We're going to look at historical background. Okay. What's the nature of you know why does this crop up? What questions were they asking? Um, you know why were they appealing? Why are these heresies so appealing? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be useful. Um, how does the church respond to the heresies? What are some modern examples? And then, you know, uh, how are these heresies cruel, doxologically and pastorally? I mean, that, that's going to be the basic fivefold structure to each of these. But we'll look at um, Ebionism and adoptionism. Uh, I believe it's going to be our next episode, one of okay. the earliest heresies that emerges. That of docetism, mm-hmm. um, clearly rejected by uh, the Apostle John and First John. Mm. Um, that of Marcionism. Um, mm. a, uh, Old God. Yeah, yeah, God. yeah. I wants to say that Old Testament and New Testament have different gods, and I think somehow, sometimes that there's a, a Marcionite strand that sometimes runs where people want to talk about the, the the God of compassion of the New Testament versus the God of wrath and right uh, uh, yeah. anger in the Old Testament. That itself is is a heresy. And it's a false view of of how God presents Himself. Yeah, uh, in the scriptures that He's given us. Even those who kind of threaten the analogy of faith, as far as you're saved one way in the Old Testament. Right, saved another way in the New Testament. It's yeah. like who saves again? God right. in both, so God changes. Yeah. Sounds 
like our boy Mark. <laughs> Marsonian. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Call him Mark around here. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's uh, modalism, which um, mm. uh, if you've ever heard the phrase that you want to think of the, the, the Trinity as water, ice, and steam, that is mm. a heresy. Um, <laughs> okay. Straight up. It, it is a heresy rejected very early on. Uh, and we'll talk about what is so cruel about that um, and what's so destructive about that. Um, Gnosticism and, and its various branches we'll look at. Uh, Montanism, probably more of a, a schismatic group than maybe a, uh, a heresy. We'll also look at um, Donatism and Novationism. Um, mm-hmm. Deals with uh, uh, another schismatic group. Arianism, probably the arch heresy, a denial right. of the divinity of Christ. Uh, Apollinarianism. Um, Pelagianism, Nestorianism, and Eutychianism. I think those are the, mm. cover the bases. But I think if we can get a basic grasp on what these are, you know, we'll spend 20 to 30 minutes on each one of these. Yeah. So you can have a basic grasp on what is it, why should I know this? Why, as a, let's say, a ninth or 10th grader, if my parents are making me listen to this, <laughs> I apologize, by the way. Um, but if your parents are making you listen to this, um, why is this useful for you, uh, uh, for you as, as a high school senior or high school junior or whatever? Uh, uh, we'll talk about those uh, mm-hmm. on how those can be useful for your daily walk, and not just in you know this isn't just for people wanting to go to seminary. This is right. this is something that's going to be useful for the average person who just wants to be you know faithful to their Lord. Mm. Well, that sounds great. I, I look forward to it. It's uh, going to be fun getting into the details of of all those and uh, connecting them to modern day and the pastoral implications of them. Um, anything else, Charles? Nope. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks for joining us again on Faith of Our Fathers. Once again, I'm Jonathan Brack. I'm Charles Williams. Take care.